MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, September 17th, 2020. Today, the Big Ten Conference is bringing back their fall football season. Caputo officially steps down from his role at Health and Human Services. Lieutenant Colonel Vinman refers to Trump as Putin's useful idiot. A pro-Trump youth group hires teenagers to spread disinformation on social media. News at the border from a whistleblower alleging inordinate amounts of hysterectomies goes mainstream. Trump holds a disastrous town hall. And ICE has deported a key witness in a sexual assault investigation at El Paso Detention Center. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, big, I don't know why I just did the NBC. Uh chime anyway big show I'm watching a lot of 30 rock that's probably it anyway big show for you today including our flip it blue segment this time with kevin mccarthy's democratic opponent kim mangon uh, we have an interview with the founder of control z providing young people with the resources and support they need to make a difference and her name is shasti conrad and of course we wrap it up with the good news block thank you so much to our patrons for supporting women in podcasting our premium subscribers enjoy ad-free episodes you get my personal research notes in the newsletter and you have access to the mary trump book club with myself and dana goldberg all that for as little as three bucks a month just head to patreon.com slash muller she wrote to sign up we do have a lot of headlines to get to so let's hit the hot notes hot notes All right, we're going to kick this off with the Big Ten Conference, uh, who announced Wednesday it will try to play football as soon as the weekend of October 23rd and 24th. Stepping back from its leadership's decision uh, just more than a month ago not to compete this fall because of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, The move by chancellors and presidents uh, represents the Big Ten's 14 universities will quell some of the pressure from prominent coaches, parents, players, fans, and Trump faced by the first Power Five league to drop plans for football in 2020. But it's also likely to provoke new outrage from those who still believe the league is prioritizing profits, entertainment, and a measure of public relations peace over health and safety of the players and the fans. In a statement on Wednesday morning, the league said players, coaches, trainers, and others who were on playing and practice fields would undergo daily testing for the virus and that any player who tested positive would be barred from games for at least 21 days. Problem there, friends, is that you can test positive and have had the virus already for a while, being a vector and spreading it. The conference, uh, which said the decision by chancellors and presidents to play was unanimous, also said that a team would stop practice and competition for at least a week if it recorded a positivity rate of more than 5%. This is this is so exploitative. Not not that the college football and colleges were already exploiting their athletes. Wow. The Big Ten's announcement on Wednesday applied only to football. Uh, it said plans for other fall sports, as well as winter sports like basketball and wrestling, would be announced shortly. This decision will assuredly turn new attention toward the Pac-12, which also said August 11th it would not play football this year. Already this week, football players at Southern California wrote to Governor Gavin Newsom and urged him to lift restrictions, keeping the state's four Pac-12 members, California, Stanford, UCLA, and USC, from returning to play. Other players in the league followed along on Twitter with their pleas to the governor. So the players want it. Anyway... Uh, next story, and you heard it here first yesterday. We've we've scooped a lot this this week. Um, we've we've been out ahead of a lot of stories, and we were out ahead of the Caputo story. Caputo has quit Health and Human Services. Uh, he was communications director. He was also a Kremlin agent, <laughs> and he was working for Russian intelligence. He was in the Mueller report a whole lot. So, you know, I guess if you have that on your resume, that qualifies you to be the communications director for the Department of Health and Human Services. He also admitted or it's been said also that uh, there, you know, there were, you know, making, you know, sort of suppressing information coming out from the CDC, which used to be the gold standard um, for investigations and, and health news. But not anymore. And, uh, of course, you know, we've just recently heard Redfield, Dr. Redfield, say that masks are more effective than a vaccine. 
which is interesting because no studies have been done on that. But it was interesting to hear him say that. And of course, Trump said in a press conference today that that uh, Redfield admitted he was wrong. And uh, I don't think that that actually happened. Today's press conference was gross. Don't watch it. And I'm not going to talk about it. Sorry, I brought it up in the first place. Um, but yeah, Caputo's out. He he says he needs to take a mental health break. Yeah, and you know, honestly, uh, I if if he if he is going through some you know some mental health issues, definitely should step down and have those addressed. Um, but you know, he did go on Facebook on Sunday and spout off some really really interesting conspiracy theories. Um, and I am not going to diagnose any mental health issues because I don't do that. Uh, and and I only have a bachelor's in psychology, but it it there was there was a lot of paranoia and a lot of conspiracy theories in in what he put out on Facebook. It sounded a little less political than uh, some of the other rants we hear from the likes of like Ron Johnson or Jim Jordan or Matt Gates, for example. So I think there may be something to that, and I think it's probably good that he's stepping down to address it. And there's an incredible interview out in the Atlantic right now by Jeffrey Goldberg with Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. Jeffrey Goldberg, as you'll remember, penned the piece for The Atlantic about Trump calling American war dead and veterans losers and suckers. And I recommend you read this piece too, the Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman interview when you have a few minutes. Uh, here's an excerpt for you. Quote, Vindman put it this way, with previous Democratic and Republican administrations, there have been left and right guardrails that helped define what was acceptable in terms of Russia policy. I thought we were operating within those boundaries. With Democrats, it might have been more engagement. With Republicans, it could have been more hard power. He tells me that he especially admires the policies of Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush, but also recognizes that Democratic presidents have credibly contained Soviet and post-Soviet Russian expansionism. Quote, uh, I didn't know precisely what Trump's boundaries would be, but I did think we would be operating within boundaries. Unquote. Vindman came to find there were no such boundaries, he says. Trump's desire to impress Putin and to shape American policy in ways that please Putin has caused many former U.S. intelligence officials and even some officials who have worked directly for him to suspect that he has been compromised by Russia. In his new book, Rage, Bob Woodward writes that Dan Coats, the former director of national intelligence, continued to harbor the secret belief, one that had grown rather than lessened, although unsupported by intelligence proof, that Putin had something on Trump. How else do you explain the president's behavior? Coates could see no other explanation. And, of course, Peter Strzok, the former FBI counterespionage chief, told my colleague Ann Applebaum that Trump is unable to put the interest of our nation first, that he acts from hidden motives because there is leverage over him, held specifically by the Russians, but potentially others as well. I ask Vindman the key question, does he believe that Trump is an asset of Russian intelligence? Vindman replied, President Trump should be considered to be a useful idiot and a fellow traveler, which makes him an unwitting agent of Putin. Useful idiot is a term commonly used to describe dupes of authoritarian regimes. Fellow traveler, in Vindman's description, is a person who shares Putin's loathing for democratic norms. But do you think Russia is blackmailing Trump? Quote, they may or may not have dirt on him, but they don't have to use it. They have more, more effective and less risky ways to employ him. He has aspirations to be the kind of leader Putin is, so he admires him. He likes authoritarian strongmen who act with impunity, without checks and balances. So he will try to please Putin. Vindman continues, In the army, we call this free chicken, something you don't have to work for. It just comes to you. This is what the Russians have in Trump. Free chicken. Wow. So, Read this interview if you get a chance um, with Jeffrey Goldberg in the Atlantic and with Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. Next up, teenagers, some of them minors, minors, not minors, uh, are being paid to pump out messages at the direction of Turning Point Action, TPA, an affiliate of Turning Point USA, the prominent conservative youth organization based in Phoenix, according to four people with independent knowledge of the effort. Their descriptions were confirmed by detailed notes from relatives of one of the teenagers who recorded conversations with him about the efforts. The campaign draws on the spam-like behavior of bots and trolls with the same similar language posted repeatedly across social media. But it is carried out, at least in part, by humans paid to use their own accounts, though nowhere disclosing their relationship with Turning Point Action or the digital firm brought in to oversee the day-to-day -day activity. 
One user included a link to Turning Point USA's website in his Twitter profile until the Washington Post began asking questions about that activity. In response to the questions from the Post, Twitter on Tuesday suspended at least 20 accounts involved in the activity for platform manipulation and spam. Facebook also removed a number of accounts as part of what the company says is an ongoing investigation. The effort generated thousands of posts this summer on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, according to an examination by the Washington Post and an assessment by an independent specialist in data science. Nearly 4,500 tweets containing identical content that were identified in the analysis probably represent a fraction of the overall output. The months-long effort by the tax-exempt nonprofit is among the most ambitious domestic influence campaigns uncovered in this election cycle. That's according to experts tracking the evolution of the deceptive online tactics. Quote, in 2016, there were Macedonian teenagers interfering in the election by running a troll farm and writing salacious articles for money, said Graham Brookie, director of the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab. Quote, in this election, the troll farm is in Phoenix. Turning Point Action, whose 26-year-old leader, Charlie Kirk, delivered the opening speech at this year's RNC, and he issued a statement from the group's field director defending the social media campaign and saying any comparison to a troll farm was a gross mischaracterization. (laughs) What? Quote, this is sincere political activism conducted by real people who passionately hold beliefs they describe online, not an anonymous troll farm in Russia. Hmm. Go fuck yourself. He said the operation reflected an attempt by Turning Point Action to maintain its advocacy despite the challenges presented by the coronavirus pandemic, which had curtailed many traditional political events. So you would go knock on doors and tell lies, but now you're just you're just doing it from a troll farm. Because we know four years ago, IRA, the Internet Research Agency in Moscow, amplified Turning Point's right-wing memes as part of their sweeping interference aimed at boosting Trump. One report pointed specifically to the use of Turning Point content as evidence of Russia's deep knowledge of American culture, media, and influencers. Charlie Kirk. How do we cancel that kid? Anyway, next up, news at the border from a whistleblower alleging inordinate amounts of hysterectomies has gone mainstream. Uh, More than a day after we covered this whistleblower complaint, Maddo ran the story, and it's now being picked up by all the majors, including CNN. And I'm glad it's getting the coverage it deserves. We will continue to bring you the latest as we learn about it. I will continue to bring the latest as I learn about it. I won't wait to tell you about it. Um, I think that's just, uh, and honestly, that's just one of the freedoms we have as an independent, you know, quote-unquote media organization that, that we are. I don't know if I would go that far. That's a podcast I can, I don't have to clear stories. I don't have to clear hurdles. So to be fair to everyone else. And Trump has held a disastrous town hall. Oh my gosh. If you saw any of this, it was just, I hope he holds more because he tanked. And Jason Miller is the guy who set this up, right? And it, it he got shit ratings and he did horribly and embarrassed himself massively. And I think Jason Miller put some beans on this. I think he might go the way of Parscale. Um, I think he might go the way of Brad Parscale. He may get demoted because, you know, Parscale is the one that was responsible for the massive debacle that was the Tulsa rally that was supposed to have 20,000 20, people outside at the outdoor event with Pence and everyone. It's going to be major. Like 12 people showed up. So he couldn't even fill an arena of 10,000. Half of the people that were in there were the news and press. So that's what happened to Brad Parscale. That's why he got demoted. I think that'll happen to Jason Miller because of this town hall event as well. Now I want you to hear a fact checker. Uh, I'm not going to play any part of what Trump said. I'm just going to play you what Daniel Dale said. There's just so much lying, Don. I'm going to go quickly here. So literally just stop me whenever you need to. He said, again, Democrats won't protect people with pre-existing conditions. That is nonsense. As a voter told him, Democrats created those protections. He insisted he didn't praise China on the virus. He did so repeatedly. We know that. He claimed that nobody knew at the time he was praising China that seniors were especially susceptible to the virus. That was one of the first things we learned out of China and out of Italy and out of the U.S. He claimed that uh, Biden said in March that the pandemic was, quote, totally over-exaggerated. I can find no evidence 
evidence that Biden ever said that. He said that Winston Churchill was kind of like him playing down stuff because he went on rooftops in London during the Nazi bombing and told people everything's going to be good. Churchill did not speak from the rooftops and did not say everything's going to be good. He warned of suffering and danger. Trump said that he fired James Mattis. Mattis resigned. He said that protesters took over 20% of Seattle. It was a six-block area, nowhere close to 20%. He took credit again for sending in the National Guard in Minneapolis, uh, saying that this happened after a week and a half of violence there. It was not even close to a week and a half. It was days. And the Democratic governor is the one who activated the Guard. He said he essentially repealed Obamacare by getting rid of the individual mandate. Not even close to true with the Medicaid expansion, pre-existing conditions, protections, other stuff remains. He said the cupboards were empty of ventilators. His administration admits he inherited about 16,000 from Obama. He did his usual false boast about so-called bans on travel from China and Europe. They were not complete bans. He said stocks are owned by, quote, everybody. Just about half of Americans own stocks. He repeated his nonsense about testing causing cases. Testing merely reveals and helps fight cases. He said that Biden has agreed to a Bernie Sanders a style socialized healthcare. He fought Sanders on that issue. He has very much not agreed to a Sanders style plan. And Don, this is a preliminary list. I have hours of fact checking tonight to do because there is even more than this. So this was just a fire hose of lying again from the president. And finally, the U.S. government late Monday deported a crucial witness in an ongoing investigation into allegations of sexual assault and harassment at an El Paso, Texas immigrant detention center. We call them concentration camps. Uh, The 35-year-old woman had been held in the facility, which is overseen by ICE, for about a year and told lawyers about a pattern and practice of abuse there, including that guards systematically assaulted her and other detainees in areas that were not visible to security cameras. Several guards forcibly kissed her. One touched her intimate parts, often as she was walking back from the medical unit to her barracks. That's according to her complaint filed with law enforcement agencies. She said one guard said if she behaved, he would help her be released. The Department of Homeland Security's Office of Inspector General launched an investigation into the accusation after ProPublica and the Texas Tribune first reported them last month. At least two more women have since come forward with similar allegations of of assault. The IG requested ICE not deport the woman, uh, and the FBI interviewed the woman extensively, according to the lawyers. Her attorneys also sent a complaint to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Western District of Texas and the El Paso's County District Attorney's Office, warning of a potential criminal investigation. Those government agencies did not respond to request for comment. Jeanette Harper, a spokeswoman for the FBI's El Paso office, said the agency pol- agency's policy prevents it from commenting on an open and ongoing investigation. Good. She said the lead agency into the woman's allegations is now the Justice Department's Inspector General, okay, which oversees accusations of civil rights abuses. The office did not immediately return a call seeking comment. Okay, so it went from the FBI to the Department of Justice. Inspector General who was installed by Trump. Last Friday, lawyers filed habeas petition in federal court asking the woman be freed on supervised release. They said in an interview the guards and inmates had been making intimidating comments. They wanted her out of there. She gave investigators a tour of the facility. She said everybody knows, and it just made things very difficult for her. Everybody knows she was assaulted. Three days after her habeas was filed... DHS Inspector General reversed its earlier position and told ICE the agency could deport the woman. And within hours, she was sent back, even though she said she fears persecution from drug cartels. High-ranking cartel members sexually assaulted her and threatened her after she reported the attack to police, according to statements she gave the U.S. government. The government allowed their most powerful witness to be deported. How can we possibly take this investigation seriously now or ever pretend that it ever was from the outset. It's pretty unbelievable. We'll be right back with the Flip It Blue segment. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Upstart. As so many of us know, it's easy to get into debt, but hard to get out, especially if your credit score isn't great. But thankfully, there's Upstart.com. It's a revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score, and it offers smart interest rates to help you pay off high-interest credit card debt. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your worthiness. They actually reward you based on your education and job history in the form of a smarter interest rate. I know so many people struggling right now on unemployment, out of work, and on top of that, in debt. And so many of my friends right now should check out Upstart.com. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score, and they believe in you as a person. They make it easy to check your rate. Since it's just a soft pull, it won't affect your credit score. The hard pull happens only if you accept your rate. And the best part, 
Once your loan is approved and accepted, you get your funds for the very next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit card debts to meet their financial goals and achieve economic independence. So free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is ranked number one in their category with over 300 businesses on Trustpilot. And hurry to upstart.com slash dailybeans to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. Again, it's a soft pull. won't hit your credit. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, it's time to flip it blue. I'm blue. And joining us today for the Flip It Blue segment is a Democratic candidate in California's 23rd district. She is running against your friend and mine, Kevin McCarthy. Please welcome Kim Mangan. How are you, Kim? I'm doing great. I'm not sure that we would call him a friend, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was being ironic because my listeners know very well uh, about the campaign contributions that McCarthy took from Fraud Guarantee and the Parnas and Fruman show and Giuliani. And now Giuliani's partner, Durkoch, has just been slapped with sanctions by this Treasury. Do you know how Russian you have to be to get sanctions put on you by this administration? So... We are very excited to talk to you because we are working very hard uh, to get to unseat uh, McCarthy. And uh, and it's not just about why he's so bad, but what your campaign and uh, and, and the Democrats are, are going to offer uh, voters. Yeah. Right. So could you tell me a little bit about your district and, and, and some of the needs that that are you know facing your constituents? Well, let, let me introduce myself a little bit first. Um, I'm an Air Force veteran. I was an aircraft mechanic, a systems engineer. I was a single working mom. I went to school while earning my degree, um, and I worked full-time while doing so. Uh, And what that means is I've walked in a lot of people's shoes. And so I understand firsthand what's happening with the people in my district. Um, We, before the coronavirus, we we had one of the highest unemployment rates. Now it's even higher. Um, the last number I saw was 17.5% when the rest of the nation was at 10%. Um, it's, it's issue after issue. I want to go to Washington to focus my efforts on the people in my district and um, to protect them, to help them, the small businesses that have gone out of business, the people living there with unemployment, um, training people, getting training dollars into my district to train the people on the jobs. They're actually bringing people in from out of state to work on our solar and wind farms because our people aren't trained. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it, there's a lot of issues um, face, uh, and challenges facing my district, but we can help the people and the small businesses, and that's my big driver for going back to Washington. Oh, there's so much opportunity there that just seems to be going to to waste under under current representation. Uh, I think McCarthy's been there since 2007. Mm -hmm. And there's something else really interesting about McCarthy. Uh, It seems like he's afraid of his constituents. He is. He he has not had a town hall, an in-person town hall since 2010. Um, He doesn't care about what his people have, the people in the district have to say. And it's that's one of the more obvious ways to see that. Wow. Unbelievable. It is. Uh, where can you tell us a little bit about where your district is located? And, and you, you've, you've said there's a lot of solar and wind farms there. You're bringing people in from out of state to work on those. And those jobs, I think, should be, given, you know, given to the locals. Yeah. And uh, a little bit more about, you know, where your district is and, and how it how it leans and, and, and all that. Um, well, my district, uh, it, it's a really interesting district. OK, it starts at the northern tip of Los Angeles County called the Antelope Valley in Lancaster goes up through, um, let's see, it's almost 200 miles, yeah, 200 miles north to um, uh, Three Rivers, encompasses all of Sequoia National Forest. Um, it has Ridgecrest on the east side and um, Taft on the west is Bakersfield in the middle, Mojave Air Park. It's right outside of, uh, uh, because of, Right, it has Lake Isabella and and Kernville and Porterville. I mean, it's just it's it's pretty widespread, but it it is an interesting district. 
Mm, that's a big, big district, and it's just a beautiful part of our state. And yes. um, and it's got such a diverse, uh, you know, population there. And I think that uh, what you're offering, you know, because again, I, I and I want to emphasize, yeah, McCarthy's bad, but but you actually have plans for for what to do for that yes. population and, and I want to I want to talk to that let's uh, let's let's speak about some of the things that uh, are, are part of your platform for for example and these are all intertwined right healthcare, mm-hmm. climate uh, yes. and jobs and the economy they're all yes. intertwined so can you maybe address some of those yeah the first thing the first thing let's face it I mean I mean I I, I actually believe in science imagine that uh, <laughs> <laughs> Science so is real. I know. I know that um, that uh, that climate change is indeed real, and we need to, and we need to to work on it. We actually need to put plans in place, start the technology, start the research and development, start development, train our people for good jobs, good paying jobs, to actually manufacture the components and work on those those new technologies. Well, let's train our people. Okay, that brings them into it. Now we've, you know, we we're looking at climate change and trying to help that. Then we bring our people in to start training them for those jobs. That helps our unemployment. Medical. We have got to have a universal health care plan. Um, what has happened with people falling off medical during coronavirus of all times? That's insane. Um, you know, the administration and McCarthy and. I mean, the GOP in general is trying to completely get rid of the ACA slash Obamacare, which during the middle of a pandemic, that is insane. They're actively fighting for that in court right now in front of the Supreme Court to completely not just get rid of protections for pre-existing conditions, but to dismantle the entire Affordable Care Act, which would effectively kick 20 million people off their health insurance. And I know that that impacts your district uh, disproportionately. Yes. Yes, it does. I mean, it impacts them dis- disproportionately. Plus, that um, uh, that that we have so many people that have been laid off. That high unemployment merely kicks back into okay. Now people have lost their insurance because they no longer have jobs. And coronavirus. I mean, th- listening to scientists again, science. Um, the uh, the long term impacts of the coronavirus, even on asymptomatic people. Now they're going to have pre-existing conditions, even though they didn't have uh, symptoms. That's five million people that will have sim- you know, that have pre-existing conditions, and they're getting kicked off their insurance. And it's it's ridiculous. So we th- people need insurance. We need to bring health care, drug health, and all health care costs under control because it is insane. The whole thing is we have got to we have got to start looking at our people and helping the people helping our cell businesses, get everybody back on their feet. So you are very big on criminal justice reform as well. Yes, I am. I mean, all you have to do is take two steps back. I mean, for quite some time, we've all known that there is a problem in our country. I think the last few years has really blown it up so we can actually see how big the problem is. Um, So we do. We have to have not in our justice system, we have to have uh, police reform. We have to have just from, you know, we have to pull education in. So we make sure that people are actually educated. One of the really sad things is, is that um, my district also does not have a very good education system. Um, its ranking is, is pretty low and we need to bring that up. We need to look at it, at that as a whole um, to, to make sure that, like I said, we, we've got to pull our people up and uh, not just let them languish. You know, there is no trickle down. We have to pull them up. And then, of course, the economic issues that we face uh, are also impacted by immigration, which is, and yes. which is something that you you, you know is a a, a a big issue for for your district too. Can you speak a little bit uh, to that? Well, okay, my 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 district um, is forty two percent Latino. And all of that isn't all the immigration. That's just, and that was as of the 2010 census. And one of the things that that upsets me about that is that McCarthy is acting as though 42% of his district does not even exist. All right. The fact that this administration, McCarthy, support caging children, separating families, 
causing long-term um, mental health um, problems because of it. I mean, what they're doing to children, they're basically torturing the children. Um, and I don't care. You know, I have heard every excuse in the book. Oh, oh, it's the parents' fault. No, it's not. It's our government's fault. You don't do that. All right. And, and that we, that anybody that stands there and support, supports it, to me, anybody that doesn't object to it is supporting it. And that, that, that my representative is not screaming about what they're doing to the children is, is just in, just, I, I cannot understand how he looks at himself in the mirror every day that he, that he supports that. And I don't understand how people that are trying to blame it on the parents that we're doing this to children. I don't know how they look at themselves in there every day. No, look at yourself. You're allowing this to happen. You're supporting it. Yeah. And, and it needs to stop. Yeah. And this, and this education, the education issues that you face uh, and, and the safety of our, our children also are impacted by gun violence. And, yes. and I was hoping you could address your, your plans on, on common sense gun reform. We well that one that one let's face it I mean everybody across the nation the majority of the people in the nation support uh, common sense gun gun laws um, for for gun control you don't want somebody who has who has mental health issues uh, buying a gun somebody that's made terrorist threats to be able to buy a gun and somebody on the no fly list yes. You know, and somebody that needs a hundred round clip, um, I, I mean, I support guns as far as if you want to go hunting, go ahead and go hunting. I understand that's, you know, American tradition. And so I'm not telling, saying we should take guns away from everybody, but I am saying if you need a hundred round clip to go hunting with, then you need to come to me with the grocery store. They have a fine collection at the meat counter. Uh <laughs> yeah, you need you you suck at guns if you need yeah, yeah. a semi-automatic rifle to go hunting. You 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 suck at yes. guns and should try a new hobby. Um, yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh and I I concur with you on that. Like hey, if I can I can hit it with a bow and arrow. Why do you need a 100 round magazine, Chuck? You know, I don't I don't understand. Um No. But the mental health impact of our children having to run yes. gun drills, you know, that is just yes. so devastating and the fact that they're trying yes. to gut the Affordable Care Act to take that health care away, that mental health support yes. away is just devastating. Yes it is. They the CDC was responsible was responsible for um, for tracking the 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 gun and the gun the, the impact of impacts of guns on our society as well as the deaths and that sort of thing, and we, and this administration took that funding away from them, which so we no longer even track it. Uh, that our kids are having to do these these gun drills and you know what uh, the shooter drills and hiding behind their desks. I mean that's something that that you know how are they going to how are they going to get through society like that when when the gun drills with the gun drills and knowing constantly that they could be killed any day we we really need to do something about that um and we need to start holding people responsible when uh for example that 17 year old that took his parents gun you know cuz he wasn't registered for it went and shot people at a at the um at the protest, not only should he be held responsible, but his parents should be held responsible too for letting him go do that and letting him have the gun. So we need to start holding people responsible for for what for their actions. I agree, and accountability is key. And you have it in spades. And anyone, I'm a veteran. Everyone I know who's a veteran understands accountability and honor and integrity. And so we're really, really pulling for you up in the 23rd. And uh, I, I hope that uh, everyone who's listening can can go and contribute and help out in any way that they can in your race, because we really, really need some common sense. Um, and, and we need more single moms in Congress. That's just my personal uh, opinion, because uh, we get shit done. Well, you, you do. I don't have I have cats, but either way. Well, my 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 daughter is now grown. I'm a grandmother for the first time this year. Congratulations. Um, Thank you, but you're right. We're I'm used to you know, single moms know that you have to juggle a lot of stuff, and we're very capable and know how to juggle a lot of stuff. 
So and and get things done. And there's so many single moms in the country. We need rep- they you know you need representation in Congress that looks like the rest of the country. Yes, um, my my whole stance is fifty percent of the population is women. Shouldn't we be fifty percent of the of the representation? I, I think seventy percent, but I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> can you uh, can you tell everybody where they can yes. help and contribute and volunteer to get you elected? Yes, if you go to mangonforcongress.com, and that's M-A-N-G-O-N-E, um, mangonforcongress.com. Uh, on my website, there's uh, you can volunteer, uh, you can contribute, and you know, volunteerism can be phone banks, text messaging, you know, reaching out to your social media, following me on Twitter, follow me on Facebook, and, and like I said, and then go to mangonforcongress.com. Yeah, what did you say? Get the man gone? Yes, we have a hashtag out there. Get that man gone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Kim Mangon, thank you so much. Running against Kevin McCarthy in California's 23rd District, Air Force veteran, single mom. Awesome, awesome to speak to you today. I really appreciate it. And thank you very much for having me. I have enjoyed it. <laughs> awesome. All right, everybody, uh, stick around. We'll be right back after this quick message. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG with the Daily Beans. I realized long ago our health is the most precious thing we have, and nowadays we're all focused on our well-being. But if you're like me, you'd prefer to avoid going to a doctor's office right now. Thankfully, there's a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's called Steady MD. SteadyMD is your personal doctor online. You take a quick quiz and get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your lifestyle and your health needs. Then you have a one-hour appointment with your doctor to start a real relationship. After that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone, or video. Uh, And unlike other services, this isn't a random doctor on call. Each SteadyMD doctor has a limited number of patients, so they have time to listen to you and give the attention you deserve. I took the quiz. I got matched according to my individual health needs. SteadyMD can help you get and stay healthy, manage chronic conditions and concerns, reduce stress, lose weight, sleep better, feel better, boost your immunity, and much more, while still in the serenity of your home also, so you could skip the waiting room and the germs, wear your onesie. Prescriptions are sent directly to your home or your local pharmacy, and you get unlimited access to your doctor for only $99 a month. No additional visit fees or co-pays. SteadyMD will even help you understand and get the most out of your health insurance, but insurance is not required. SteadyMD is now accepting members of all ages in all 50 states. So go to SteadyMD.com slash Daily Beans to take the free quiz and see which doctor is a perfect fit for you. SteadyMD.com slash Daily Beans. There's no risk, no long-term commitment uh, to get started. That's Steady, S-T-E-A-D-Y, MD.com slash Daily Beans. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining me for the interview today, I'm so excited. This is someone with so much on her plate and so much that she's done that I could spend an hour just with her credits and introduction. But she's worked on three presidential campaigns and one Senate campaign. She's the COO for Creative Social Impact Agency, and she's working right now uh, on getting the vote out with young voters and Gen Z voters. Everyone, please welcome Shasti Conrad to the show. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you, Allison? Thanks for having me on. I am so good. I'm great today i'm i'm like pumped up fired up ready to go and uh i i've been sort of in this mood um ever since uh i think ever since biden um announced kamala as his running mate and and i think we you know we've just hit the ground running and i'm super excited uh to talk to you today because you um are one of the young people that obama was talking about (laughs) Uh, when he said, uh, like, within a week after Trump was elected, uh, and I won't say duly elected, just elected, um, <laughs> uh, Obama went on pod save and talked about this wave of young people um, that are going to change the country. And that's what you're working on. Can you tell us a little bit about um, Gen Z voters? Yes. Um yeah, I mean, I you know, I think the last couple of years we've been seeing the sort of, you know, outpouring of, of activism and engagement you know, across all generations, but particularly with, with Gen Z, which is the sort of, you know, this, this up and coming generation for many of Gen Z, this will be their first presidential election that they can vote in, but they're kind of coming of age in, you know, Trump's America. And um, there was a great article by Politico um, yesterday about how, you know, Gen Z is full of voters who were born after 9-11 and how that has, um, you know, sort of shaped their worldview. And, you know, what I 
what I started to really see is that Gen Z is a particular sort of young person group. Um, you know, there's always interest in how to get young people active and involved. But Gen Z is really, they are fearless um, in ways that other generations, they think, haven't always felt like they've been able to kind of let loose at such a young age. Um, but Gen Z really, you know, they're looking at a world in front of them that is worse than what their parents experienced and what the generations before them have experienced. And they're quite frankly, they're pissed off and they're not willing to wait um, for their turn, which is what, you know, you know, millennials and and boomers and, and um, uh, Gen X, you know, were often told was that we had to wait our turn um, eventually would get to us and we'd get to be in these leadership positions. And Gen Z has seen how waiting for that um, doesn't doesn't yield the types of policies that are best for their generation and best for this planet, to be totally honest. And so they come with um, real passion for for change, passion for um, really pushing the status quo and not being willing to kind of sit on the sidelines and, and wait it out. And so, you know, I uh, I, there's been a lot of talk, um, you know, in the last couple of years about what happened in 2016. And, you know, oftentimes people want to talk about the framework as, you know, how close it was between Clinton and Trump. But in actuality, you know, the real voting block that I determined the election was the 42% of, of registered voters who didn't vote, you know, who sat it out. And, um, you know, it is, it's young people made up a huge part of that, um, block and, you know, I think as progressives and Democrats, as we get closer and closer to the general election in November, you know, I think there is some PTSD from 2016 and a real desire, right, to figure out how do we get people off off the off the sidelines. And, you know, I think Gen Z really is where we have to focus our attention and help give them that space to help lead us, because really they are the ones who... Um, I think know where we need to go. Um, and so that is why I've been wanting to focus on, on helping to turn out the uh, turn out Gen Z voters. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about your get out the vote efforts with Gen Z, because you know, and I know, uh, are you millennial? I'm a millennial. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm Gen X and every single generation uh, of young voters has we've just not shown up, right? Like Gen X, we, it was like 14%, uh, um, millennials, like 12 to 18%, depending on the election year. And, and so what can you do? Uh, and, and what are your, uh, like, sort of, I guess, what is your plan here to get the vote out with Gen Z voters to I feel like if you activate and just have these discussions earlier, that it may make a, a bigger difference? Have you found that? Yes, um, I think, you know, having, having, making sure that these conversations are ongoing and not just about one particular election, but that this is really like a part of what it means to be an active citizen. But I think also with people's attention spans, generally, there's so much going on, you know, it's not too late to be having these conversations and to be activating, um, you know, younger voters. What I what I see, though, is that a lot of, you know, the the sort of, you know, uh, establishment, get out the vote, voter registration organizations, you know, rock the vote, which was a big deal, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm, I uh, <laughs> right? Like, you know, what I what I started seeing was that, you know, they had these, you know, they were they're trying to adapt to the environment that we're in, which is everything is online. But they would be throwing these like, you know, Zoom concerts about getting out the vote but they do it on a platform that gen z isn't going to pay any attention to and they would have you know the the people that they would want to activate and give platform to would be you know like more established sort of big name celebrities but what i found with gen z is that you know they've grown up as content creators they've had social media their entire lives and so they are most motivated and most sort of driven by what their peers are doing and they you know they have been able to sort of have the ability to um tell their own stories get their narrative out um say what their thoughts and feelings are at their fingertips for their entire development and so gen z is more activated by themselves by each other. Um, And so really, there's these really, you know, there's so many local um, activists and and influencers that are, you know, if you can, if you can find a couple of those key folks that are, you know, they're 
there's always like three at every high school or three, at, uh, you know, a couple at every, you know, community college or campus um, that everybody in that community is paying attention to. You know, they're watching their like dance videos or their cat videos or like, and if you can activate those folks, they can really organize their networks better than, you know, the Taylor Swifts of the world because they're talking to each other all day, every day. And so that's what, you know, we, We've been really trying to, to spend some time on, particularly on TikTok, which has become this phenomenon during um, quarantine and, and COVID. It's the fastest growing social media platform, um, I think maybe ever, um, in terms of the volume in just the last like six months. Really, you know, um, it's just blown up. And that is where, you know, anybody who has teenagers in the house, like, can tell you, right, that TikTok is what is taking up a lot of folks' time. And and there's, you know, these great young people that are doing really fantastic videos and telling their stories and getting getting their opinions out there. And we think that's the best place to really activate and engage young people. Yeah, and it's working, too. I mean, I remember when, the you know, the, the there was a viral TikTok videos to get people to reserve tickets to Trump's Tulsa rally and, and nobody showed up. Yes. <laughs> pretty, pretty fantastic. Every teenager knew about it. Yes. But no parents did. Like, no, you know, like it, it, it was a news story after the fact. But every, you know, teenager in America seemed to know about it. And that is where, I you know, I think... Um, it's an exciting space that hasn't fully been, um, you know, hasn't been fully utilized in this space of sort of uh, voter engagement and activation. Yeah. And I'm so happy that that um, these young people that were using TikTok can like realize their potential to impact uh, things on a, on a national and, and, you know, by proxy global scale. And I wanted to ask you how this is something that I've always wondered about because I'm Gen X, right? So how do you square the speed with which political change happens in this country with uh, the younger generations? Because it seems like you said, you know, hey, we're not we're not going to wait our turn. We're not going to do what Gen X and the millennials and the boomers did. Um, but I mean, we do just simply have restrictions on how far and how fast we can go just based on the way that our government is set up. And I was wondering mm-hmm. kind of how you square that with like, you know, I know a lot of people, um, uh, particularly progressives, and all the all the progressives I know are, are backing Biden, but they would rather see more progressive uh, candidates on 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 these slates. And so I was wondering, and, and of course, you know, that everything is like baby steps in the way that the Constitution was written. How do you square that with them? Yeah, I think, you know, I think this cycle has really taught um, Democrats and progressives um, about that discipline of, of having to, to do this together and that, you know, we all, you have to keep pushing for, you know, the sort of the, the biggest progressive vision that you can, you have to hold that. That's why, you know, the platform for the DNC, like actually does matter because you want to be able to sort of set forth of like, what is the greatest version of this country and, and of the, you know, of, of living in this environment that we can have, but there's also the like organizational work and the political realities and the pragmatism that we have to have um, to, you know, that these things, they're incremental. It does take time. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things as a, someone who worked in the o- Obama administration, you know, I, I now, I mean, I can admit that, you know, we we at that time were so taken with everything that was happening at a national level that we didn't spend as much time really investing in, um, you know, down ballot races, you know, in, in all of the states. We didn't we didn't invest a lot in, you know, Democratic Party organizations um, that were that were more local. And I think what we're seeing is that, you know, who who is at the top, who's in the White House absolutely matters. But what also matters is, you know, who has the majority in your state legislatures? Who's the who's the county prosecutor that is trying, you know, officers that have been in, in, involved in shootings? Um, you know, who's who's on your city council? Um, you know, having young people a part of a part in of all of those different levels of government, you know, will help to ensure that you know, young people who bring, who you know, sort of traditionally have brought a more progressive vision that like, it's actually at the table, it's actually a part of decision making. And, you know, particularly in the last four years, because, you know, nothing has really been 
happening at the national level that is all that positive, you know, it's been in states and in cities where you've been able to have any kind of policy innovations. Mm. And so, you know, I think that's where I'm seeing young people getting really excited about down ballot races, about, um, you know, in, in, in supporting, you know, primary challengers, right, who to old incumbents who haven't done and haven't represented their districts well or represented young people. Um, there's a lot more energy for that. And that's what I keep trying to encourage people is like, you have to stay a part of the process. Because otherwise, you leave it to those same folks who they're there to try to drive you out and to make this seem like it's complicated and that it's not worth your attention. That's, that's done on purpose to maintain the status quo. So yeah, and and you're you're so right because everything starts locally, right? Because that's what impacts us directly. I mean, like you said, it's very important who's in the White House, who the vice president, who the cabinet is, and who our congressional members and senators are. In you know in in D.C., but everything that happens to us regarding, like you said, the police and fire and water and schools and education all happens locally. And I, I, I just have a, I can't wait for Gen Z to infiltrate the party <laughs> and, and, and start making what they want. They to, you know, be the change that they want to see because it's the same change I want. Mm-hmm. I've been really heartened to see, you know, like the Sunrise Movement and, uh, you know, a lot of these youth climate activists, like really pushing um, these old institutions and, and holding them accountable. And again, like that fearlessness of being like, nope, you know, this is my future that you are messing with. You know, this is you're leaving me a country that is worse off than what you've had. And we're not, you know, we're not okay with that. We're going to keep fighting for that. I've, I'm working with this, um, you know, young uh, TikTok influencer who um, uh, is, is a 20 year old. Um, uh, he's 20 from New York. And, um, you know, they were saying to me, like, you know, at least as a millennial, when you graduated college, you thought you could eventually get a solid job and that you might have you know, some of these things in place. When I look at graduating college, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to have a steady job. I don't know if I'm ever going to have health care. I don't know if I, you know, there's so many things that it's real. their future, they look at their future and it's bleak. And, you know, this is their, this is their chance to really fight for that. Um, and, you know, Hayden um, also taught me that the right has been doing, the, you know, the conservatives have been doing all of this organizing online to reach young people um, and really pushing sort of a white supremacist, white nationalist ideology. You know, they go into Twitch and they go on to like Fortnite and they really activate and sort of push that sort of really gross rhetoric. And we as progressives and Democrats, we've, we're slow on that. You know, we keep trying to push them towards, um, you know, just like doing what we've always done, which is like you make phone calls, you knock on doors, you know, you do all of that. But then they end up talking to people that are outside of their age group. And, you know, what, what we're trying to say is like we have to go where young people are and, and, and help, we have to also fight back against um, you know, a lot of this really hard conservative, hard right conservative um, ideology that's infiltrating online. Yeah, because they they do get to them young and, you know, convince them that there's a place for them where they belong. And, and it's it's dangerous. You're so right. Um, and I know that you're working on some uh, projects right now. Can you tell us about that and um, how people can help? Yes. Um, so we we've we've launched uh, this organization called Control Z, um, which is a play on the undo. So undoing, you know, the last four years and undoing all of the bad and creating the future. Um, and you can find out more about that on my website, which is just shasticonrad.com, S-H-A-S-T-I-C-O-N-R-A-D.com. Um, and uh, I've also got a couple of other projects I'm really proud of. Um, I'm out here in, in, in Washington State, and we have nine black women that are running for the Washington State Legislature. And if all of them win, it'll triple the number of um, black uh, people in the Washington state legislature. And it'll be the first time since 2010 that we'll have a black state senator. And so, um, and that group is called the Opportunity Pack. And we're really proud of, of that work that we're doing as well. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. And I really, really can't say how much 
I, I appreciate you providing young people with the resources and support they need to make a difference. I really appreciate it. Shasti Conrad, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sun Basket. So many of us are trying to eat healthy and safely, and I found the perfect service is Sun Basket. So you want to eat tasty and nutritious meals while avoiding avoiding crowded grocery stores. This is perfect. Sun Basket delivers seriously delicious, healthy meals straight to your door. Sun Basket has amazing recipes from all kinds of dietary preferences, including mine, which is paleo, but they also have gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, a whole bunch more. And they make it easy and incredibly convenient. Everything is pre-portioned, ready to prep and cook. You can enjoy a full dinner of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes. Each week, Sun Basket offers a wide range of recipes, so you can try stuff like Greek beef, Greek beef skewers with arugula grape salad, butter chicken with basmati rice, uh, and uh, or vegetarian warm bean and summer squash salad with pearl couscous. That is so that one is delicious. Uh, you can order from any recipes across their menu. Skip a week, double up, snooze. I snoozed for a week when we went on our little vacation, and and then just started it right back up. Super easy, very convenient. And Sun Basket facilities have the highest op- standard operating procedures, and they've increased sanitization frequency in their distribution centers because they want to protect you and your family and their employees because they care. So right now, Sun Basket is offering thirty five dollars off your order. Go right now to sunbasket.com/dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout for $35 off your order. Again, sunbasket.com slash dailybeans. And don't forget to enter promo code dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll blow it on. Good news is on the way. All right, we have so many good news submissions today, and we have a correction. We're going to start throwing corrections into the mix. So thank you for submitting those. If you want to submit your good news stories, personal or political, or a quarantine confession about something naughty you've been doing while in quarantine, or if you have a correction uh, for me, as you know, I'm not a lawyer. I am a doctor, but not the MD kind, so I do make errors, and uh, I'm also a person. And so if you have a correction, you can go to, or any any submission that you want to make, go to dailybeanspod.com, and you click contact, and there'll be a little drop-down menu, and you can pick confession or correction or good news story, or just say hi. Uh, Give us feedback on the show. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, We love to hear from you, and we're very interactive and very responsive, as you may have noticed. So... Uh, Without further ado, we have our first good news story. Nope, nope, nope. We're going to start with a correction. That would be the first correction, is that I thought it was a good news story. So correct that. And now this correction from Chris. And of course, when you submit your corrections, you have to, the form has you say something nice and then put your feedback and then close with something nice. Uh, So the compliment sandwich here is from Chris. You guys are awesome, even when you don't get it right on the first take. In the episode Gerrymandered AF in Texas, you said that methamphetamine and cannabis are Schedule 1 drugs. Cannabis is a federal Schedule 1. Methamphetamine is a Schedule 2 drug. The difference between the schedules is part about medically accepted usages. Methamphetamine can be given for conditions such as narcolepsy or ADHD, as a prescription called desoxin. I'm a forensic chemist. Drug schedules are my life. <laughs> and follow, fi- finally, uh, Chris says, it's great that you're able to report the news. Still managed to give us all the much-needed laughs. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Chris. I think it was... I, I think that was... Um, I don't. I think that was the person I was interviewing that said methamphetamine was Schedule One. But I take your correction. I take full responsibility and accountability for everything that happens on the podcast. So thank you very much for that correction, and I really do appreciate it. Next up from E G. This is a good news story. Pronoun she her. Last time I wrote, I was sending 120 letters through Vote Forward on my petroleum company employer's dime. Well. I've also volunteered to be a poll worker. I have poll worker training tomorrow, and I'm sending texts for Democrats across the country. I want to tell my boss about poll worker training. I went to tell my boss about poll worker training. My Trump-loving boss asked if I was going to steal ballots. He has framed he has a framed photo of Trump in his office, not even a pic of his family, just Trump. I told him that I was saving some old person's life. <laughs> He then went on to say that mail-in voting was plagued by fraud. I asked him when the last prosecution for mail-in voter fraud was, and he didn't know. I told him it was a Republican, and that's, on, that's been the only prosecution in a while. 
the Alaska and Colorado, uh, that Alaska and Colorado have done mail-in voting for 10 years and everything's been fine. My boss stammered and couldn't think of anything to say back, so he told me I watch too much CNN. I told him I actually never watch CNN, but I do fact-check things myself and don't just listen to what people tell me to believe. He just shook his head at me. As I walked out, he said, it's the same as drinking the Kool-Aid. So I'm sending letters, texting, being a poll worker, hopefully making an impression on the new employee and getting zingers in on my boss. This is a pretty damn good week. You have encouraged me to become more politically active and take the future of our country seriously. Oklahoma is super gerrymandered, and young voters are taught their votes don't count. I was one of them, but I know better now. I will do everything I can to spread the word. Thank you so much, E.G. That's so great. Uh, Those are good zingers, by the way, to your boss. Uh, Thanks for everything. I love you all like family. Here are pet pics, too. Here's my cat, Muff. And here's here's an orange tabby being a clown. I love it. We will send this photo out in the newsletter. If you send us good news stories, quarantine confessions or corrections, and you attach photos or anything like that, we, we share those in the newsletter. So everyone can, uh, well, at least the, our patrons can can see what we're talking about. Uh, next up, good news from Kylie, pronoun she, her. My husband has grudgingly supported my interest in activism and politics since Trump was elected. I've noticed this, Kylie, that people who aren't into politics really get exasperated by people who are especially at the level that we are like listeners of this show and 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 you know the groups that we hang out and associate with but anyway Kylie continues although he votes her husband he keeps up with the news he hates Trump with the best of us he is not the kind of person to visibly get involved or attend meetings however yesterday he came home from work and said that we have room for another yard sign for local candidates in our front yard I was so surprised. The past couple of years, since I was elected as precinct committee person for our area, congratulations, he has asked that I limit our yard signs to just two or three, even when I was running for office and trying to support my fellow ballot mates. This is especially surprising because our yard already has six local candidate signs and one more urging our neighbors to vote early. Our local Democratic Party does a drive through sign pickup every Wednesday, so today I'm going to pick up two more. Local elections matter. And then there's a photo... <laughs> Of all the signs in front of her yard. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, at McECT. Oh, at M-I-C-E-C Tattooer said the hottest thing when he comes home from work today. We still have room for, for another yard sign. Arr, nice. <laughs> that's so awesome. That's uh, I think that's Instagram, by the way. Anyway, next up from Patty. Um, she, her, but I'll answer to anything civil. In the last 24 hours, the air quality in San Francisco Bay has improved dramatically. We can breathe. Last night, the PM 2.5 in the air where I live was 200 micrograms per cubic meter. And tonight it's 20. Our peak was last Wednesday around 320. Here's hoping our friends go uh, to the north get a similar break soon and some rain to put out those fires. Last Wednesday morning, the sky was the freakiest color I've ever seen. A deep, thick orange. It felt like another planet. Today, there's a bit of haze. Uh, I'm including a pair of photos so that she can see the difference. Wow. It seriously looks like a sepia photo next to a black and white photo. Yeah, Patty. Wow. And we'll we'll include the, that before and after or during and not during photo as well. That's significant. I'm glad the air quality is improving. It is here in San Diego, too. Next up from Steph, pronoun she, her. Dear Allison and new crew, congratulations on the wonderful edition of Hosts. The pod is evolving. And even though I dearly miss the steady dose of Jordan and Mandy, Dana and Amy bring a new flavor and I love it. Here's my good news from Munich. Oh, München. Tschüss. Bis bait. Um, actually, why did I just say goodbye to you? Hello. (laughs) Earlier this year, I was talking to a friend about politics, uh, in the U S and inevitably about the current administration. And she just said, as an aside, I wonder if I should vote this time. That's how I found out she has dual citizenship. I immediately bombarded her with good reasons and the threat of the Republican party in general and why every vote counts. She told me that the Democrats weren't that great either because of, and she learned into me, leaned into me and whispered, the pedophilia. I took a deep breath and shared my knowledge on disinformation and Russian talking points that I acquired in good part through the beans and promised to help her as far as I can with the paperwork and renewing her passport, another obstacle. Thanks to this community, I found useful links and did what I could to convince her how much Florida... She's in Florida. How much her Florida vote matters. Long story short, after months of persuasion, she just wrote a message that she requested her absentee ballot. Yes. It is hard to express how happy I am to have contributed a little to a better future for my far, far away place. Let's hope that the Postal Service isn't totally broken and she can cast her vote 
in time and once. <laughs> Thank you for being an inspiration. And she included a screenshot of the text message. and <laughs> It's in German. I love it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, next up from Melissa, pronoun she, her. I did it. I finally texted for Joe Biden. After making my husband sign up to do phone banking for both the 2018 midterms and now this year, I have finally joined the volunteer campaign, too. I love how you made your husband do it. Uh, We've been living in London, UK, for the past few years. So between keeping up with Brexit and worrying about our family back home, it's a lot. But this is the good news block. So we'll leave it there. This taking action thing is where it's at. (laughs) During the RNC, instead of hate scrolling Twitter, I wrote 120 letters via Vote Forward. And now they're sitting in my in-laws home waiting for the big send day. And for other Americans overseas, if the time zones don't work for calling or texting in the U.S., Democrats abroad do phone banking to Americans all over the world. Um, A bit more personal, but it's also helping me that we're expecting our third child in February. Congratulations. Uh, Just a little bit of hope and a whole lot of distraction. 2021 will be better, right? Uh, We're working very hard as Americans abroad to make sure our new baby can get a Biden White House welcome letter and not a Trump one. Well, and plus... Uh, like ending at least one dystopian nightmare. Pregnant, overseas, and sending texts and letters. Oh, and voting. By mail. Do it for the babies. Thanks for all you do, AG and the Beans team, keeping me informed of the right amount of outrage and inspiration from all the listeners with their good news, too. Thanks, Melissa. That's incredible. Thank you all so much for your submissions. If you have more good news stories, like I said, pictures, corrections, quarantine confessions, dailybeanspod.com and click contact, send them there. And the newsletter goes out, I think, on Fridays. And uh, that has my personal research notes and some funny pictures and memes and comics and, uh, of course, all of the photos that uh, we reference here in the good news block as well. So thank you very much. We will see you tomorrow with Amy Carrero uh, helping me read the good news. So until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.